Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WGR Sports Radio 550. Where are you? I told you not to call me at work. You're at work? It's Saturday. We've been waiting for you since sunrise. We've got all these reports. And... Oh. He's not coming. Oh, come on. It's Saturday. Real good, Steve. Real good. We were biting this morning. We're biting this morning on WGR Sports Radio 550. That was a good one there, Brayton, uh, on the board doing the mix-up there. We were biting this morning. We were biting this morning. That's a good one. Uh, Brayton Wilson there coming up with uh, with the great stuff. So we're going to have Matthew Fairburn here in a couple of minutes. Uh, we shall uh, continue on our conversation with... Uh, Obviously, we've got a lot of talk about with the Bills here in the preseason, and my first thought about this whole wide receiver situation is I did feel pretty comfortable uh, with the whole Bills situation at the wide receiver position anyways with Greg Little. I thought that he had taken a lot of steps forward, um, but to be honest, what I've seen is a lot of inconsistencies, which is going to happen, but most for me, a guy like Josh Gordon, you really... It's very difficult to to kind of figure that out, and it's whether or not you're it's your appetite for risk if you're the bills. It's tough for me to really look at a guy like like Josh Gordon and say that you can you can basically say, "Hey, this is a guy we can guarantee we can say, "Hey, this is a guy we can count on in every week. He hasn't been a guy that the that the Browns have been able to count on on a consistent basis. But when available, a guy like Josh Gordon is someone that I think could potentially be a boomer bust candidate for a team that could use a guy. Just use a guy at that wide receiver position. I, at the beginning of preseason, as I mentioned, I felt pretty good about the guys they had in the room. You know, the Greg Littles. I thought for certain that Des Lewis was going to make a nice, a nice step forward here in his career. He looked really good in the offseason. And the OTAs and, the, and at the beginning of that preseason... I thought he looked really good, especially at the beginning of a training camp. But then, as Rex Ryan said in his pregame, you know, he's really plateaued. He's got, we've probably seen the best we're going to see from Des Lewis. But we're going to bring in uh, now Matthew Fairburn from uh, New York Upstate. Uh, Matthew, how are you doing this morning, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, so we've uh, had quite a conversation today with, uh, with the fans as well. But we started off talking about a lot of the penalties that happened yesterday, and obviously you can beat that drum to death if you want, but I did want to get your opinion on maybe what your thoughts are on what the NFL is going to do moving forward with this new rule to try to protect quarterbacks from being hit low. I mean, last night, I think you and basically everyone else can kind of agree that those calls were they were egregious, um, especially that second one on Croy Bierman. You could say what you will about the uh, Lorenzo Alexander play, but Croy Bierman basically just fell over and barely touched him and got called for that penalty. I mean, what can players, what can fans expect from this league moving forward if those are going to be the type of calls that uh, that you see on a week-to-week basis? 
Yeah, you know, the hope is, I guess, that, that the referees get this figured out in the preseason. You know, they're obviously, every year it seems like, making more and more of an effort to protect quarterbacks, which is understandable, but to take it to the level that they did last night was a little ridiculous, and I think, uh, you know, ho- the hope is, I guess, that, you know, at the end of the preseason, some of these refs in, in the league kind of reviews these calls and, and sets up more of a, a clear definition of what exactly is and isn't going to be roughing the passer because uh, it seems, it, it seems you know, obviously we have trouble each year figuring out what a catch is, and now it's we're going to have trouble figuring out, you know, what roughing the passer is because uh, it, it seemed a little bit arbitrary at times last night. And, you know, obviously the hope is that they kind of figure this thing out now uh, so that maybe they can get some of these calls right in the regular season. But uh, I, I would understand if, NFL fans aren't exactly optimistic that that will happen. Yeah, and and what I was just speaking to was a little bit um, of the wide receiver position. I've kind of gone back and forth about this, Matthew, and I feel good about it one week, and then after watching that game yesterday, guys like Greg Little, Des Lewis, you know, they're just not doing enough for me to really warrant a 53-man roster spot, but what other decisions, what other choices do you really have in this situation? How is this wide receiver battle playing out for you, and do you foresee this team potentially making a trade or picking someone up who may be getting cut from another team when the rosters get cut down to 53 men? Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility because things are so fluid uh, at the bottom of the depth chart there. and You know, I, I think Marquise Goodwin was the one guy who actually stepped up during the preseason and training camp, and then he ended up getting hurt. Uh, so, you know, depending on how long he's out, uh, that makes things even more complicated at wide receiver. I think Greg Salas is pretty safe to make this roster, and I think Walt Powell is making, uh, you know, a really strong case for the 53, but you're right. It seems like, you know, Greg Little and Des Lewis, both of those guys uh, continue to drop the football and kind of squander chances uh, to show that they deserve a spot, but it's one of those things where I think the Bills will have a very close eye on what other teams are doing uh, with their wide receivers, so maybe they can pick somebody up or, or move somebody to, to try to, to fill that spot. Again, I don't know that it's the most important position, you know, the number four or five wide receiver on this team, especially you know with how Greg Roman operates, but uh, it's definitely something they need to get figured out in case you know they they suffer some of the injuries that they had a year ago and and right now, I think, you know, there's a lot of bodies there. Uh, there's a lot of names that, you know, people have been paying attention to during the preseason, but there's not a lot, not a lot of those guys have really been all that impressive throughout, you know, the summer. Some more difficult injuries yesterday, specifically Chris Gregg. What do you see now this team doing at the tight end position? They didn't really have a lot of depth as it was. Greg going down, I really kind of saw Greg as probably that second or third guy, Jim Dre, that being that blocking tight end. Now you look at a guy like Nick O'Leary, who to me has done nothing to stand out and warrant himself a spot on the 53. Is that another position they may look to address uh, as cutdowns get closer here or via trade? Because the tight end position, as you know, in a Greg Roman offense, as we mentioned with the receivers, don't have a giant role in that third, fourth, and fifth receiver, but at the tight end. I mean, if you go back to the the 49er days, my thought is the Vernon Davis-Delaney-Walker combo was lethal at times. You know, teams weren't able to keep up with Delaney-Walker. He goes on to Tennessee and does really good things there as well as a a main tight end. But this team, I think, is in need of that type of tight end, a nice receiving H-back style tight end. 
is there someone to be had out there, or is this team going to have to stick status quo and hope that the development of Nick O'Leary happens quicker than they're thinking it probably will? Yeah, you know, I think that's another spot that they really do need to, to keep an eye on what other teams are doing and, and see if somebody does become available. Obviously, they're not going to get a, a top-end, tight end, uh, you know, on the, the free agent market at this time of year, but I can imagine they could find an upgrade for a guy like Nick O'Leary or Blake Annan. I mean, both of those guys have been virtually non-existent throughout the preseason and training camp. Like you said, they haven't really done much to, to warrant any consideration for the final roster. The only other thing I can think of that they might do at that spot is to try and move Glenn Gronkowski into that type of role as a third tight end slash you know, H-back or fullback. But I know they've, they've been impressed with Glenn Gronkowski at times, and it seems like Rex Ryan you know, just wants to find an excuse to keep him on the 53-man roster. And who knows, maybe this is it. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. It's unfortunate because, as I mentioned just before, is how you know important that role could potentially be in a Greg Roman offense. And as we move forward, I, it's, it's a difficult thing to kind of look at because I think we were all enjoying the development of, of Greg in his fourth year now in the league. And I, and I think we were all seeing strides made in his game, especially on the special team side. You know, and that's my next question for you is now what some of these injuries potentially mean for special teams. This is a, this is a team that struggled. I mean, I don't know what the statistics were last year in special teams, and I don't know really how you can, you know, really quantify special teams statistics, but this team was just poor in the special teams department. You know, are there going to be guys on this team that make the team specifically for roles on special teams? And if so, you know, who are a couple of guys that you see making the team for roles in the special teams role? Yeah, I, I think they're definitely going to make decisions based on that. You can already see it uh, based on some of the guys they brought in You know, this summer. I, I think Colt Anderson is a guy that will probably make the 53-man roster because he is such a good special teams player. They brought in Lorenzo Alexander to be a special teams guy. He's starting to look like you know a pretty decent pass rusher as well. But you know he'll have a role there, and you know that makes his roster spot safe. And I think I think it starts to make you you know look at a guy like Walt Powell and wonder if he can hang on the on the fifty three man roster because again he contributes on special teams. You know even just as a return guy, that's that's a valuable guy to have. So uh, I think. You know, like you said, that, that wasn't their strongest area in terms of discipline last year. Obviously, they, they took a lot of penalties and uh, weren't the most focused group. So uh, having some of those veteran guys that can come in and, and fill that role, a guy like Colt Anderson, you know, could be very valuable. And, you know, they're hoping at some point this year they can get Marcus Easley back because he's another guy uh, that, that thrives in that role. But I definitely think that's one of the, the tiebreakers in the coming week when they're deciding who gets cut and who stays. Matthew Fairburn here on the AT&T Hotline from New York Upstate. Matthew, uh, I also wanted to talk about Jonathan Williams. He uh, ended up getting injured in that game yesterday on a very questionable call. Well, I guess lack of call there. Uh, But before that play, he had that nice 37-yard run, and I would say any success that these Bills running backs have in the second and third team offensive lines, I think you almost have to quantify and and really multiply by a couple and and be even that more impressed that a guy like that with that offensive line and and just the struggles they've had can break off that 37-yard run. What have you seen so far in Jonathan Williams, and is he a legitimate candidate to take the carries that Carlos Williams was going to be getting for this team? Yeah, you know, last night it, w- it was tough to really get a gauge on how Jonathan Williams was running for most of the night because, like you said, that, that backup offensive line 
was not giving him any room to run. But, you know, that 37-yard touchdown was an impressive run, and it showed, you know, what makes Jonathan Williams, you know, such an intriguing prospect at the running back position because he sheds a lot of tackles. That was what he did in college, and, you know, he's translating that to the pro game. I think he's a tough guy to tackle, tough guy to bring down. And in the spring, Anthony Lynn mentioned that Jonathan Williams could be a guy that they consider using, you know, in short yardage packages. And I think he has a chance to earn that role, especially with Carlos Williams out of town. I think, you know, Jonathan Williams makes some sense. If the Bills are trying to limit LaShawn McCoy's workload in any way and and take away some of the touches that, that could beat him up and, you know, maybe take away from how fresh he'll be at the end of the season, Jonathan Williams is the type of guy that you want to give those carries to because, you know, he, he reads his blocks well uh, and he sheds tacklers very well. I think he... He has the makings of a very strong goal line runner, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he develops into that role at some point this year. Matthew, we also saw a lot of E.J. Manuel yesterday. Obviously, Cardale Jones didn't play with the sore shoulder, and I think we're all pretty happy about the fact that Tyrod basically got two series and was pulled, especially after that first series where I was just cringing watching a couple of those unblocked defenders getting a free shot at his blind side. To you, uh, the performance, I, again, it's one of those E.J. Manuel performances where I think the stat sheet and the game film tell two very different stories. Uh, but to you, what did you see from E.J. Manuel, and are you feeling confident uh, in his abilities to be a backup quarterback for this team moving forward? Yeah, you know, last night, you know, E.J. Manuel played like E.J. Manuel to me. I mean, at this point, E.J. Manuel is who he is. I don't think he's going to develop into some superstar quarterback or even a high-quality backup. I, I think he's you know, somewhere in the middle to bottom half of the league in terms of backup quarterbacks, and that's kind of how he played last night. You know, after the game, Rex Ryan said it's the best, you know, this is the best E.J. Manuel he's seen, and, you know, some quarterbacks take longer to develop and things like that, and I don't know if this is the best E.J. Manuel we've seen. I think that's a, a pretty big indictment on E.J. Manuel's professional career. Uh, you know, he just had over 50% completion percentage, didn't throw a touchdown, through an interception, I mean, he's he he looks, I guess, slightly more comfortable, uh, and you know he's not looking over his shoulder, not competing for a job really. So uh, maybe that plays into it, and you know it's the second year in his, in this system, but uh, you know any hopes of him developing into you know a big time quarterback or even one of the better backups in the league, I think, are a bit far fetched. I think you know at, at best uh, he's he's an average backup who can maybe you know, win you a couple games if Tyrod goes down, but uh, there's not a whole lot to be optimistic about with him. Yeah, and I always think it's interesting to see a lot of the talk about E.G. Manuel is, you know, and, and a lot of people talking about how good he's been playing, especially in the preseason, and, and as I mentioned when I asked you the question is, I feel like a lot of times the film just tells a completely different story than what the numbers would suggest, and I, and I think that's really kind of a you know, a way to describe his whole entire career. And when you look forward to it, and, and I, as I mentioned, I just think it's weird how, you know, especially like media members get criticized for just beating on EJ Manuel and, and just never really saying anything nice about him. But at the same time, you know, I don't think I ever really hear anybody really harping or beating that drum on EJ Manuel. So your stance is very similar to mine with his and it's we know what we have, and and maybe and maybe the only thing I differ from you is you know it's 
this league is filled with mediocre quarterbacks. It is, it's much easier to be a mediocre quarterback in this league. It's, I would say it's just as easy to be mediocre as it is to be bad because you only have a handful of quarterbacks in this league that can play every day and are franchise-type quarterbacks. So, I mean, is there a chance that this team potentially brings in another quarterback? As you mentioned, well, as I mentioned, Cardell Jones missing the game yesterday. I almost feel, I don't feel as comfortable about where this team is this year as they were last year with four quarterbacks in the roster. I mean, when you look around the league, most teams have four quarterbacks. I mean, do you, are you worried at all about a potential other player they should bring in just in case? I mean, I'm just in a weird spot with where they are at the quarterback position and why they're so confident with only three guys in the room. Yeah, I think a lot of that depends on, you know, the health of Cardell Jones's shoulder, which at this point we figure is just a sore shoulder and that he'll be back uh, before long. And as long as he's healthy, you know, I'm totally fine at this point with them, you know, just carrying three quarterbacks, especially because, you know, they're kind of crunched for roster spots here in the final week. I do, you know, maybe at the beginning of training camp, it would have been beneficial to have a fourth arm just in camp to, uh, you know, take some of the stress off off Cardell Jones's arm uh, for taking all those reps. But to me, at this point, the only reason you would bring in another quarterback is if you really didn't want uh, even E.J. Manuel uh, to have to play against the Lions and and potentially get hurt because, uh, obviously, you know, the thing about E.J. Manuel is I don't think they're going to go out and and try to find an upgrade on E.J. Manuel because I don't think one is out there. Uh, Like you said, backup quarterbacks in this league, uh, aren't all that great to begin with, and they're certainly not going to be available floating around in free yeah. agency. So I, I think as long as uh, you know they're they're comfortable getting through that last preseason game with the guys on the roster, and they're comfortable with Cardell Jones's health, then they'll probably be fine with just the three of them. Matthew, one more thing before you go. You've been at basically every single training camp practice, and, and we talked about this a little bit with Sal Capaccio earlier. Dan Carpenter. I don't know what it could potentially be. Sale said last year he came into the season injured with that hamstring injury. Maybe that was a reason why he struggled so much, and then it became more of a mental thing at a certain point. But what to you is is the biggest difference you're seeing in, in Dan Carpenter? And do you think that he is turning back into the Dan Carpenter of two years ago where he was one of the, I would say, the most money kickers in the league, hitting everything basically 50 yards and out that you could ask him to hit? I mean, is this a, a thing we can continue to see as a consistent Dan Carpenter back on this team? Yeah, I, I think there's a very real possibility that that he bounces back and, and recaptures that old form that he had a couple of years ago. I don't know what, what has been the, the biggest difference with him. Maybe it's, uh, I do think it's the fact that, you know, he came into camp healthy uh, for starters. I think that helped him out a lot, and uh, he just has a different confidence about him. I think last year, uh, you know, he missed some kicks early uh, and never quite got his head right. And, you know, then the, the extra points kind of creeped into his head as the season went along and, uh, you know, caused some problems for him. Rex was, you know, very quick to point out that Dan Carpenter was struggling a year ago. And this year he's been a little bit more quiet about, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, I think that's when Dan Carpenter's at his best, when he's out of the spotlight. Uh, and, you know, you could say that about any kicker when you don't notice him that's when they're doing their job. And uh, Dan Carpenter's been, you know, even better than that. He's he's making, you know, 50-yard field goals, and uh, he really does look like he's back to where he was a few years ago. Well, Matthew, thank you so much again for coming on with me this morning. I know you're a busy guy this time of year, but uh, let's do it again soon when the season starts here, and, uh, and uh, have a good weekend, man. 
Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Matthew. Matthew Fairburn there from New York Upstate on the AT&T hotline joining me to talk more bills. Uh, we'll continue that talk next. 803-0550, the number to call. 888-550-2550 if you're out of the area. we got about a half hour left of the program. So if you want to get your thoughts in, now is the time. 803 803- 0550, the number to call. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary, Brayton Wilson on WGR. Shotgun snap. Taylor looks to throw. Has time. Fires into the end zone. Looking for Woods. Incomplete. Josh Norman there to break it up. Woods come up screaming for a pass interference or a hold, but there is no flag on the play. John Murphy on the call there yesterday, and I know exactly what play that is. It's the uh, starters were still in in the red zone. I believe it was third down. It was a play uh, deep in uh, over the middle of the back of the end zone and a wide open Robert Woods until he was basically tackled before the ball got to him. Um, thoughts on that, Brayden? What did, I know you saw it, so what, what were your thoughts on that play? I think it was... I don't, I don't know. When I first saw it, I was I was screaming pass interference. I mean, I thought it still should have been pass interference. It was close, but I mean, you we've seen so much less than like so much worse than that not get called. And then, you know, things like the Greg Little pass interference that was called back late in the game. That was a very very light kind of like I mean, obviously there was a push, but it was just so much I mean, I mean there's been worse calls made than that where a guy barely touches him and gets called for pass interference or a guy that completely pushes him off and doesn't get called for it. I mean, consistency, man. We talked a little bit about officiating with, with consistency earlier, and it is, uh, it's lacking, that's for sure. And one thing that kind of bothers me about Ed Hockley yesterday, why does he have to explain everything that's going mm-hmm. on? Every penalty that he calls, he always seems like he has to explain why he called it. I mean, the, the Lorenzo and Alexander sack and a couple of other plays. It's like, just make the call. Just I, I, I get sometimes we need explanations for yeah. certain things, but he seems like he explained every false, like every false start, every over explaining completely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, right. And what you want to do is understand why they're making the call, but when it's a terrible call in the first place, like maybe you should just like reel back some of the explanation on it. Like you should just be like, yeah, I know this was questionable, but uh, I had to call it anyways kind of thing. You know, it's like, I don't know. We're at a weird point right now in the league and as fans, as, you know, watchers of the football, it's it's a difficult situation to be put in as a fan because what you want to do is be able to support your team and not feel as though you're being, you know, screwed out of every potential thing out of every potential call, but at the same time, where we want to be, I think, as fans, as media, as NFL players, is we want to be somewhere where we understand the rules, but uh, not only understand the rules, but have them applied appropriately. And uh, I think there's, as you mentioned, a lot of inconsistency there. And uh, quite honestly, since the strike uh, of the NFL referees and we've uh, seen the NFL refs come back from that strike, I really haven't seen much of a difference. Now, obviously, it's not that terrible fail-mary play. Uh, We're not seeing anything like that. But how much of a difference between the real-time referees and those uh, replacement refs have we really seen since that since that time, I'm going to tell you what, it's, it hasn't been much. Uh, 803-0550, the number to call. We've got about 20 minutes left here in the show this afternoon on Sports Talk Saturday. Uh, Brayton, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention very much, but there's been this, we'll call it uh, National Anthem Gate. Uh, it's Colin Kaepernick. Why does everything have to be gate for you? I don't know. It just it makes sense. 
I don't I don't know if it really does make sense for this. I think it does. I think I think if anything, it makes more sense than Deflategate. It's National Anthem Gate, and it's basically if you uh, haven't been on Twitter or Facebook or I'm sure any social media at this point is just trashing Colin Kaepernick. Basically, what had happened? What had happened is uh, Colin Kaepernick was shown in a picture, a photo taken yesterday. He's this is the first preseason game he's played this year. He uh, didn't dress for the previous two with some arm soreness. Colin Kaepernick was sitting on the bench in front of the Gatorade bottles while everyone else on the team was standing for the national anthem. And he's been uh, quoted as saying he won't stand for the national anthem to, quote, show pride in the flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. Um, I think it's a very interesting stance for Colin Kaepernick, um, a guy who at this point in his career has basically been benched for... Blaine Gabbert I think it's it's unfortunate timing for him because it kind of looks like he's pouting um and and he may be indeed standing for something greater than just you know not only does he look like he's pouting he looks like he's being selfish and not a team player Uh, I mean when you're out there standing for the national anthem or whatever you're you're out there as a team if there's more than one person not doing it, then of course it's going to be like, okay, what's going on here? But like Colin Kaepernick was the only one not standing for the national anthem. That's just, it's selfish. It's, it's, it makes you look like a terrible teammate. Like as if you're out looking to try and make it, make something for yourself or you're, I mean, it's not like a team is trying to make a statement. You're one person like, right. Like be with your team, do what your team's doing. And I get it. You, you, I get it. The issue at hand here is quite relevant to what's going on in today's society. However, you have to be you have to be in unison with your Not team. Not only that, but you have to pick your spots. And I just think this was a poor spot for Colin Kaepernick to try to step out because I haven't until now, he hasn't been outspoken at all about race relations. He hasn't been the forefront. He hasn't been... I mean, how many times have you heard Carmelo Anthony, an NBA player, come out and say, listen, as athletes, we need to stand together. We need to do something here about race relations in the United States. There's a serious issue here. I haven't heard Colin Kaepernick come out and say anything about that. And now he's going to come basically... And and my thoughts about it is people are taking this, I think, really tough. And I think people are saying, man, this is disrespectful to the... And yes, I agree. And I don't think that he's necessarily in a place to choose this position to speak out against race relations. And yes, I um, I commend players who are going to come out and 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 speak against social issues. And I don't think we should kill players for doing that. I don't think we should rip them for coming and speaking out on social issues that are, you know, happening in our society. But what I think they should do is just that. They should speak out about it instead of doing something that looks like you're pouting and being selfish and kind of being just to be honest a jerk and and then uh, I don't know. It, it is such a tough thing to, to talk about and to feel like you're right about because I think there's a lot of opinions on this. But the National Football League uh, responded to this with a, with a statement today, and it says, uh, The National Anthem is, all, is and always will be a special part of the pregame ceremony. It's an opportunity to honor our country and reflect on the great liberties we are afforded as citizens. In respecting such American principles as freedom of religion and freedom of expression, we recognize the right of an individual to choose and participate or not in our celebration of the national anthem. An interesting statement there by the NFL, and I think what they're doing is trying to put a little bit of uh, water on this flame to extinguish this flame a little bit. And again, my thought behind it is there are a lot of people that go into protecting the freedoms of this country. 
Um, you know, there are soldiers that are overseas right now fighting in the 100-degree desert heat. There are soldiers losing their lives, losing limbs, getting, you know, basically risking their life for our country in order to have us have the ability to not stand for a national anthem. And, and I, I don't know. It, it's just not a good look to me. It's just really not a good look. And as a person, and, and I'll keep, I'll continue Here's, kind of going back to my playing days I, in this. Um, my whole thing is the national anthem was always a special part of the game for me. It was always something that when I was on the sidelines with my teammates and we all kind of lined up in a line on the sidelines and, and listen to that national anthem. I mean, when I listen to the national anthem at, when I'm live at a game, I still get the goosebumps. I still get those butterflies in my stomach and I don't play any longer. And for me, it's just it's one of those things that I think at this point in, in his career – he just kind of sounds like a jerk, and, and, and I don't think that was really his intention. If this really is to, to make a stand against some of the racial issues that our country faces on a day-to-day basis, good. But pick your spots, man, and this is a poor spot to do it. You're a guy who is losing basically all of his national credibility as not only a, a football player, but as an activist. If you're going to be an activist here, be an activist. Be a guy... That's standing for it, but but be on the front end of this. Be say something before you do this. Like, don't let this be the first reason to say, well, why isn't he doing that? Right. And not only is it the players that are standing up for their uh, that are doing this all in unison. Not only that, but it's all the officials. I went to an umpire school when I was just out of high school. I went down for five weeks, and the one thing that they always taught us to do was always stand up, look presentable for the national anthem, hand over your heart. And you just you stand there like a soldier, literally. And it's you know you got to be like that. You got to be all in unison. You have to be all as part of a team, no matter what it is. Whether you're a football team, baseball team, you're a team of officials, you're a team of you know a team of managers or something like that. You all have to be in unison. You all have to do the same thing. And for Colin Kaepernick to do that, it does no favor for him to all of a sudden want to make this excuse. I'm I'm sorry, but Colin Kaepernick, I don't buy what you're what you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, because where have you been for the past year and a half? Right. When... It's not it's not like you're LeBron, Mello, Chris right. Paul and outspoken who's the fourth about one it. Out yeah, there. no, uh, yeah, but uh, just outspoken and and the thing that I, w- I would really like to think too is the NFL kind of for a league that suspends and fines players for not wearing the same colored socks, this is the stance you're going to take on this. I mean, the NBA in 1996 you know, they physically, Muhammad Abdul Rauf in 1996 was suspended for a game for not standing for the national anthem. Now, I know we're in different times. It's, that's tw- over 20 years ago, but I don't know. Let's, let's head out to the phones. Rob in North Tonawanda has something to say on the Ka- Kaepernick situation. Rob, what's up? You're on WGR. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I, I disagreed with what Kaepernick did, and like, but I agreed with what LeBron, right. LeBron and Carmelo did because, you know, you know, they, they stood up for, like, with that whole Black Lives Matters and that, you know. And, and I'll tell you, like, I know as a country we all we all disagree with what's going on with our government and all that. doesn't mean, oh, not to stand up and salute. I mean, you got troops that were black, whites, um, right. different, ra- different color races. I mean, I mean, you have people like the military that are going to be upset at what Colin Kaepernick did. They, I mean... They were the ones that stood up for our country and whatnot. You know, it, 
like unlike the NBA players, like the like at the ESPYS, like I said, right, yeah. You no, know, at least they use that forum to say we disagree with what's going on. We disagree with all the racism going on, you know. And I applaud them for what they did because, you know, I'm like, like I'm white, and I and I applaud what what they did because. Yeah, absolutely. Racist. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat as you, Robin. Thanks for the call on that. No, and, and I agree. And and my thought is on this is if this is really is your stance and you've just been sitting down and, and what they said now is people didn't really realize that Kaepernick was doing it, but he did it for the first two prison games because he was undressed. He was just in street clothes. So you didn't really see that he was doing it for the first two games. But if this is something that, that you're standing for and this is symbolic of something that you stand for and aren't happy with, Say something. Where have you been for the past year and a half? This is just this is an issue that just happened last week. This is an issue we've had in our society for years, centuries, and you're going to use this forum to kind of act like a jerk, and not, and then afterwards you're going to say, "Oh, it's because I I am ashamed of my country and uh, where we are in race relations and you know how we don't stand behind people of color." And I don't know. It, it's just it's a lame. Lame thing to me. It's an you have- issue. It's an issue in the in the government aspect, but to disrespect your country like that, the place that you live and the freedoms that you that do he's have. acquired. I mean, he this is a guy who's that's offered freedoms that half more than three fourths of our country would just wish to have because of he gets to play the sport that he loves and gets paid millions of dollars. And let me tell you, be pretty darn mediocre at it. All right, well, 8030550, if you'd like to get more and more call-in, we could try to get it on the way back here. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary, Brayton Wilson on WGR. All right, welcome back in for our final segment here on Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary and Brayton Wilson along with you here this morning. Uh, I wanted to uh, thank a couple of my guests, Matthew Fairburn from New York Upstate, for coming on with me talking football. Same with Chris Trapasso. Uh, who I'll be working with extensively this year for Buffalo Rumblings on SB Nation. So you'll want to take a look. Uh, I should have something out by Monday for a little film study of the game yesterday. And uh, obviously, Sal Capaccio as well for coming on the program to uh, to talk with me as well. Um, Brayton, again, uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Me and Brayton will be on again next week. He will be uh, co-hosting with me. Uh, we'll have uh, Derek Kramer on the board. And then uh, the fun starts. Uh, football season starts after next week. College football getting underway yesterday, but the official start uh, next Thursday night, I believe, and then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then, of course, my Notre Dame Fighting Irish on Sunday against Texas from Cowboy Stadium in prime time. So I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, if you are a Notre Dame fan, you'll know that uh, Brian Kelly chose not to choose a starting quarterback. Rather, uh, he will play both Deshaun Kaiser and Malik Zaire in that game, and it may be something we see moving forward this season with Notre Dame. Uh, they may be going with the two-quarterback system, which I've never really agreed with, and I don't think Brian Kelly necessarily loves either, but both guys are, are stud quarterbacks, and both could potentially be Heisman candidates, depending on uh, if either of them could potentially pull that starting job away from the other, but I don't foresee that happening. So college football starting next weekend. Uh, that's exciting. Exciting to have football back in general. And then uh, Bills after that next Sunday, not next Sunday, but the Sunday following, uh, will be on the road in Baltimore facing off against the Ravens. Uh, so a lot to talk about in the next two weeks. Next week, me and Brayton are going to get into a little bit into the World Cup of Hockey, so uh, that'll be fun to talk about. We'll have some ho- we'll have a hockey guy on for sure uh, to break down some of the teams and uh, what we can expect from the World Cup of Hockey, which should be exciting. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that uh, coming up as well. So for Brayton Wilson, uh, I'm Nate Geary, and again, for my guest, Sal Capaccio, 
uh, Chris Trapasso and Matthew Fairborn. You are listening to Sports Talk Saturday. We'll see you next week here on WGR. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.